sermon tonight out of the book of Ezekiel, chapter 4, Radical Witness. Ezekiel 4, verse 1. You also, son of man, take a clay tablet and lay it before you and portray on it a city, Jerusalem. Lay siege against it, build a siege wall against it, and heap up a mound against it, set camps against it also, and place battering rams against it all around. So in other words, play war, right? And also make a little model there and uh, get some uh, armies going there and little figures and battering rams and, 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 and play a game in front of the people. Moreover, take for yourself an iron plate and set it as an iron wall between you and the city. Set your face against it and it shall be besieged and you shall lay siege against it. This shall be a sign to the house of Israel. So a few interesting things here. So he's got his little war game playing out there, his little model taking place, Jerusalem and the siege around it and these armies and people inside. And then put this metal, this iron wall between you and the city. And I believe that is a demonstration of, of where God sits in what's going on or went on there during the siege of Jerusalem. It was like it was if there was an iron wall between God and the city. That, he, that they were not calling upon him, they were not crying out to him, and it was as if he was behind a, a, a wall that they didn't see him. And he wasn't there to help and protect as he had before. He was hiding behind this wall, this iron wall, ready to help at any time. If we met the conditions, and the conditions were the same then as they are today, the same as they were from Adam and Eve all the way down through the ages. Repentance, confession, humility, seeking after God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, and he is nigh at hand, drawing us and calling us. And he starts the process, right? So it's not that we start the process of repentance. He sends his spirit that brings conviction on us. Repentance is a gift that God gives to us. And so God hadn't been ignoring them. He's behind the plate. He's there looking. Put your face against the plate. God was there. Have Ezekiel give a message that would go back to Jerusalem. Have Jeremiah there in the city giving the same warning. So it wasn't that God wasn't calling, but we were not calling back. We were not responding. But all it would take would be a response to God's drawing, God's leading, God's wooing, and a surrender to that. And that wall would come down and he'd be right there. But as it was, it was as if there was a wall there, an iron wall between them. And he says, this shall be assigned to the house of Israel. Now the northern tribes, the ten northern tribes that were known as Israel, had been taken captive over a hundred years before this and dispersed. And it's Judah who's in Jerusalem. And yet he's saying this will be a sign to the house of Israel, which is interesting. Now it's not that uh, he ignores Judah altogether. We'll see Judah's mentioned uh, in other places. But here he's specifying to the house of Israel. This would be a, a sign to the house of Israel, which, which going back to Solomon's day and David's day would include Judah as well. And so it may be a very broad message that he's saying. But God at this point still had not yet forgotten Israel. Many of who I believe were in Babylon, because we see them come back with, with, when, when we come back 70 years after the Babylonian captivity. So God had not forgotten them totally. 
Not, not that God ever forgets. But in other words, they hadn't totally. Israel, the ten tribes, had not totally forsaken God. There was a remnant still that came out and came back. And came, right? Kepha's name was Simeon, right? So we have others, uh, you know, and examples like that throughout uh, the scriptures that they did come back as well. And so here we see God drawing them and this to be a witness to them as well. And so it was a witness to Israel who was not in Jerusalem at the time. It's a witness to us as well. That God knows, that God sees, that God cares. So even while God's giving his warnings, it's a demonstration that he cares. If he didn't care, he wouldn't warn us. If he didn't care, he wouldn't prophesy what was going to take place. He wouldn't tell us ahead of time so that when it comes to pass, we will wake up and turn from our sins. Verse 4, Lie on your left side and lay the iniquity of the house of Israel upon it. According to the number of days that you lie on it, you shall bear their iniquity. I have laid on you the years of their iniquity according to the number of days, 390 days. So you shall bear the iniquity of the house of Israel. So lie on your side for 390 days. It's over a year. Laying on your left side as a demonstration of the iniquity of Israel. Again, the ten northern tribes. When you have completed them, lie again on your right side, and then you shall bear the iniquity of the house of Judah forty days. I have laid on you a day for each year. So 390 for Israel, 40 for Judah. And so there's a few things, very interesting things there. Um, Obviously, God saw the sins of Israel as being much worse and much longer than the sins of Judah. And we see that if we look at the scriptures and compare them and and weigh out the bad years of Israel and the the bad years of bad kings of, of Judah. And, and the good kings of Judah, and compare them all, uh, we see the numbers are dramatically different. Uh, and so here it's demonstrated as well. God's been keeping track and numbering them. Um, and also it says, I've laid on you a day for each year. So if he's laying on his side for 390 days, and then 40 days, that is symbolic of 390 years of the iniquities that he's laying on, and 40 years of the iniquity of Judah. Now, this is also very similar that when we uh, were, came out of Egypt and we're going through the, the wilderness and came to the promised land, to the Jordan River the, the first time, we sent over 10 spies and they came back with a, uh, 10 of them came back with a bad, bad report, two of them uh, um, with a good report, saying we can take the land, God is faithful, but 10 saying, no, there's giants in the land. And the multitude went with the ten and feared to go in. And those twelve spies that were in spying out the land were there for 40 days. And God said, just as they were there for 40 days spying out the land, so shall you wander in the wilderness 40 years a day for every year. And so God's doing that here again. And that's a prophetic principle, and we see that uh, with like the Daniel 9, pro- well, not just like, but all the, the prophetic timelines. Daniel 9 is a great example that points us to the exact time of when the Messiah uh, came and was immersed and was cut off for our sins and resurrected. And 
and uh, poured out his spirit upon his disciples. Uh, and so we have that same period, that day for year prophetic, and this is where it comes from, and from the book of Numbers. And so we see that applying here. Now, the, if, if it's like the time in, in, in uh, the Exodus, which was also 40 days, 40 years, here it's 40 days for 40 years, so there's a similarity with that. And if you put the two together, 390 and 40, we get 430, which is what the time that uh, our sojourn in Egypt, 430 years, from the time of Abraham to Moses, 430 years. So that's kind of interesting, the, the parallels there as well. Now, if we're looking at the time of the numbers with the crossing of the Jordan or coming to Jericho in that area, uh, the 40 years was afterwards, right? So 10, 10, 40 days they were in the, in searching out the land, so you will now be punished for 40 years. Not that they were bad for 40 years, and now your punishment comes. Right? So if that's the same here, then he's not talking about you were bad for 390 years and for 40 years, but that there is going to be, we're going to, you're going to bear your iniquity for 390 years moving forward and 40 years moving forward. See, if that's the parallel. Um, either way, uh, trying to find out what it corresponds to, if we go 390 years before the destruction of Jerusalem, there's not necessarily anything that really nails it down. If we go 40 years before uh, Jerusalem's destruction, there's nothing really that was uh, that uh, really uh, applied there either. It was during the time of Josiah, so he was actually a good king. It was actually during good years. If we move forward 40 years or 390 years or even 430 years, it doesn't necessarily seem to be something that, 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 uh, that we see historically, at least so far, that uh, places it. But, uh, but nonetheless, God knows, and God had a purpose, and God had a plan for it. And, um, but uh, we do see all those other things. We see the similarity, and we see the, 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 the comparison of the numbers, the God tracking the sins of Israel compared with the sins of Judah. Therefore, you shall set your face towards the siege of Jerusalem. Your arm shall be uncovered and you shall prophesy against it. Surely I will restrain you so that you cannot turn from one side to another till you have ended the days of your siege. So he's lying a year on his left side, for over a month on, on his right side, and, and God holds him fast. God restrains him from rolling over. He must have had some bed sores or something from that, right? So, uh, so he's there. I mean, I guess he took some breaks. I don't know, but uh, he says, I will hold you there. I will restrain you. I will keep you from rolling around and rolling over. 390 and 40. And that's what he does. Now, your arm shall be uncovered. Well, again, if he's symbolic of God being behind this iron wall, God's arm is not too short to save. His arm is, is, is bare. He's ready to reach out. He's ready to come and help. He's ready to come and rescue. He's ready to come and, and deliver us if we just cry out to him and call out to him in our time of need. God is ever a present help in trouble. And whatever you're going through, whatever siege seems to be in your life right now, whatever seems to be burying you in, whatever trouble's there, if God seems like he's afar off, if God seems like he's behind an iron wall and an iron curtain and you can't get through and you don't feel like your prayers are 
going anywhere, and he doesn't feel like he's hearing you, know that God hasn't forsaken you. God hasn't forgotten you. God's eyes and faces is upon you. His arm is outstretched. Let God search your heart, try your ways, let him reveal if there's any sin, any iniquity in us that would bar him from being able to answer our prayers. And if he doesn't convict us on anything, then just by faith, sometimes we can't see through. Yeshua couldn't see the Father. Why have you forsaken me? But he's still there. Maybe he's just waiting. He's got his time period. He's got his, his time to act and just wait upon the Lord. But he hears. He hears. And he does not forget. And he will work in his time and his way. If our hearts are surrendered to him, and humbled before him, trusting in him, calling out upon him. Verse 9. Take for yourself wheat, barley, bean, lentils, millet, and spillet, spelt. Put them into one vessel and make bread of them for yourself. During the number of days that you lie on your side, 390 days you shall eat it. And hence, the Ezekiel 9 bread. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had this, but this is where it comes from. Ezekiel chapter 4, verse 9. And so we brought a couple loaves, and so we have them in the back. We'll have that with a challah and bagels and other things. So during Oneg Shabbat, if you've never tried Ezekiel 9 bread, you can try it tonight. Ezekiel, oh, Ezekiel 4.9. Sorry, Ezekiel 4.9 bread, thank you. Because uh, it has the, the, the grains mentioned there. It's made from those very things, the wheat, the barley, the beans, the lentils, the millet, and, and the spelt. And uh, it's good. It's very good. Tasting. So hopefully you'll enjoy it. So that's what he ate, and I like eating it. I don't know if I'd want to eat it for 390 days and 40 <laughs> days straight and have only that, but that's what he had. It doesn't say he had, was able to put peanut butter and jelly on it or hummus or, or anything else on it. That's what he had. Just the bread. Your food which you eat shall be by weight 20 shekels a day. From time to time you shall eat it. You shall also drink water by measure, one-sixth of a hin. From time to time you shall drink. You shall eat it as barley cakes. So he mixes it into cakes and he eats this much each time, every so often. He says from time to time, so maybe three meals a day, two meals a day, whatever God put him on uh, his schedule. Plus some water measured out. So everything measured out to this exact amount for a reason. God has a reason. You know, so again, you can imagine Ezekiel. You know, having to do all this, lay on his side, eat his bread, everything, all these details. Everyone looking at him, making this little army more seen here, standing behind an iron wall there. People probably thought he was nuts. <laughs> Bake it using fuel of human waste in their sight. So tonight, we're not going to use toasters because we want to follow the <laughs> biblical prescription. And so I've been collecting all week. And, uh, and so we're going to toast these babies just like the Bible says. And we'll get a taste of, feel for what it was like. The Lord said, So shall the children of Israel eat their defiled bread among the Gentiles where I will drive them. 
I said, oh, Lord God, I have never defiled myself from my youth till now. I have never eaten what died of itself or was torn of beast, nor has an abominable flesh ever come into my mouth. Ezekiel was okay with laying on his side for a year and a month. He was, he was okay with uh, not turning over. He was okay with making the model. He was okay with being mocked and, and, and probably sunburned as well. He was okay with all of that. It's okay with eating the same meal every day. But when it came down to cooking it over human waste, he said, I don't know, God. I don't know, really. Is that biblical? I don't know. Is this really God? Are you speaking? That does not sound clean to me. Now, before we get into that, it said, the Lord said he shall, this shall represent how the children of Israel, so again, still he's focusing on the children of Israel, to where I have driven them among the Gentiles. That their food would be sparse and have need. And so the symbolism of Ezekiel is reaching out again to his people. He's got a symbol there with the wall against Jerusalem. He's got very little bread and having to cook it over human waste for the children of Israel. That, again, times must have gotten real tough in places. And no doubt in Jerusalem for the children of Judah as well, where they would have to use human waste because, well, here it says then, so then he said, God said to me, see, I am giving you cow dung instead of human waste and you shall prepare your bread over it. Okay, so God relented a little bit here, kind of like with Abraham, he relents, he gives in a little bit, you know, and so we can pray. You know, when things are going a certain way, you can still pray, <laughs> and uh, there's some things that God doesn't change, you know, things that he wrote on stone, he doesn't change, you know, but, uh, but uh, here he, he says, okay, I'll, I'll, let you, I'll let you use cow dung. So we'll be merciful to you guys tonight too, and, and so we'll use that instead as well tonight. That's how the story went. Um, but now, why in Jerusalem weren't they able to use cow dung? Why did he initially say, use human waste? The cows were all eaten. Yeah, during the siege, it gets so bad that Ezekiel says, fatherly his son, and the son will eat his father. I don't know who got to go first, but uh, that it gets really, really bad. And so there were no animal to even get droppings from. No fuel to burn, no wood to burn, everything is gone. And not even cow dung. That's how bad it must have gotten inside Jerusalem during that siege. We can't fathom how desperate, and some places in the world today, there's horrible atrocities going on, and horrible desperation, and people literally starving to death. Every few seconds, people starving to death in this world, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and God never gets to shut his eyes. God never gets to shut off the TV. God never gets to go on with some other activity as he watches his children suffer in this world. Oh, may the Lord come soon. May the Lord use us in relieving suffering in this world in some way, shape, or form, especially as people are hungering and thirsting for the bread of life and the water of life. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, surely I will cut off the supply of bread in Jerusalem. 
They shall eat bread by weight with anxiety and shall drink water by measure with dread. And they may lack bread and water and be dismayed with one another and waste away because of their iniquity. And that's about, not that all sin, again, people starving to death, it's not necessarily because of their iniquity, each individual, but we bear the, the result of human sin, sin in this world, the curse that's upon this world. But as far as Jerusalem at that time specifically, and the siege that took place, and God not able to come in and help, was specifically because of their iniquities. That's why it's important for us to allow God to search our hearts so he can cleanse us of the sins, so the Messiah can take them from us. He's already borne them. He's already paid the price for them. Just release them to him, accept his forgiveness, accept his forgiveness, accept his relief and deliverance and the gift of repentance and accept his spirit to empower us not to continue in those sins anymore. And if we suffer beyond that if there's no sin on our record at the current time and we're still suffering, then may we rejoice that God allows us and counts us worthy to enter into his suffering. Because Yeshua left heaven and suffered here on earth for us. Seems like Ezekiel is pretty radical here in his witness to get a message forward to, to the children of Israel and the children of Judah. God radically wants us to bring his message to this world. Whatever it takes, laying on our side for over a year, eating bread cooked on human waste or cow waste, building little models and all the other crazy things that God has Ezekiel do. God has called us to be a witness as well. And Yeshua did some crazy things as well. Yeshua left heaven, came to this earth. That's pretty crazy. That's pretty radical. Left all the angels around him, adoring him, left his father's side, left his throne, left his crown, left the power of divinity, took it all off, and came to be born in a stable, probably a cave, damp, with plenty of dung around. Not some nice, neat little manger scene type of thing. Poor. Family not even able to give the right offering for a child. When they give a poor person's turtle dove that they probably had to catch. And then hunted from birth. I'm going to go into exile and live in a foreign land. And then growing up, misunderstood by his siblings and no doubt by his parents as well. And then to be rejected by people he came to save. Even his close friends didn't understand him and ran away from him. God himself being willing to be beaten 
and bruised and tempted in all ways like as we are. To be a living witness because of our iniquities. God did radical things to reach us. And then God dies. At least in his flesh that he took on. And buried in the tomb. And was willing to stay in that tomb. And willing to die the second death, the eternal death for us. That's what he died. You know, so the movies can't make that out. They can't, they can't help us to picture the true sacrifice that took place. Oh, they can show him being beaten. They can show him bleeding. They can show the blood dripping down from his forehead and getting into his eyes and burning as he can't even wipe his eyes. If you ever had sweat get into your eyes, you know what it, you can imagine sweat and blood dripping into his eyes. They can show all that. They can show the, the, the back all ripped to shreds and other parts of the body as well, just ripped to shreds, but then leaning on a, a rough, dry piece of wood, parts poking out, poking out and splinters digging into the already opened wounds. They could show all that suffering. But they can't show the internal agony of bearing the sins of the world. They can't picture being separated from the Father. They can't picture becoming the curse for us. And receiving the punishment, which is not just death for three days, but the real punishment is death. He was willing to go down and never come up for you and me because he took our punishment and our punishment is death. Separation from God for eternity. If it was just three days, well, hey, anyone could do anything for three days. If it was just one day of agony, well, anyone could put up with one day of agony. But he literally gave up heaven for us. He willingly gave up his seat on the throne for us. Like Moses prayed, Lord, if it takes blotting my name out so that they can be there, then go for it. That's what it takes. Like Paul prayed. I wish I could be accursed for my brethren's sake. He actually did it. And did it completely. God calls us to radically warn this world. Because it was bad in Jerusalem at that time. It was bad for Israel dispersed. But nothing like what's coming upon this world. A time of trouble is coming upon this world such as the world has never seen. And God is calling us now to warn the world. And if it takes laying on our side or eating Ezekiel 4-9 bread, cooked over dung, or whatever it takes. 
That's what God's called us to. And I think God's called us to simpler things than that. To radically live the life that God has called us to. To be peculiar people in this world. Different from the rest of the world. Keeping Shabbat, even though the rest of the world doesn't understand that and can't fathom that, it doesn't make sense to them. Eating foods that this world seems to glorify more than anything else. Or not eating foods that the world glorifies, and eating foods that <laughs> the Bible says causes us to stand out at times, causes us to be different at times. Like the story Angela read. What are you, nuts? <laughs> That's ridiculous, giving that much of your income to God, to his service, to people. It's nuts. It's crazy. I can't understand it. Demonstrating love in ways, forgiving those that have hurt us. Being nice and kind to those that have been mean to us. Ministering and witnessing, telling of God's goodness. The carnal mind can't understand that. Just as none of us could understand it before we came to faith. God calls us to radically live for him. Ezekiel was willing. Are we willing to be God's witnesses? We willing to be God's light in this last days and to shine brightly for him. Whatever it might take, the things that God's already laid out and other things he might ask us individually to do. I heard a story by Lee Strobel. He felt really impressed to, to go uh, to, uh, to someone in his workplace and go and invite him to services that weekend. And he went in there and he invited the person to services and the guy said, I'm not interested. And he said, oh, we got some uh, real nice service plan for this weekend and, and uh, we got some real great music and I think you'll enjoy it. And the guy said, I'm not interested. And he went on back and forth a little bit because God impressed him to go. And, and so he went back to his office and he was wondering, what was that all about? God, didn't you, wasn't that you who impressed me? So he went back to his office and nothing came of it. That service came and went. He worked there for a while. Like I never showed any inclination and interest in God in any way, shape, or form. And he didn't know what it was all about. Nothing came of it. One day he was uh, preaching and after the service, someone came up to him and said, Lee, I want to thank you for the impact that you've had on my life. And they said, I don't recognize you. Who are you? And what's, what's the story? He says, well, there was one day a number of years ago, I was doing some tile work in this office building. And you came into that room. And you started talking to this guy and witnessing to him and inviting him to services. And you probably didn't even know I was there. I was behind the desk area. And, and the guy didn't want to come. And you kept on pleading with him. And he just refused 
And I was sitting there thinking, boy, that sounds like a nice service. I really need to get back with God. And that weekend I came to the service and I was so blessed. I got called my went home. I told my wife to come and we went to that service together. And we surrendered our lives to the Lord and we've been serving the Lord ever since. We don't always see, we don't always know. But we need to be in tune with the Spirit of God. We need to hear God's Holy Spirit leading and guiding and directing us and using us, pouring out his gifts upon us so that we can be witnesses in this world, so that we can show God's love to this world in manifest ways so that everyone will have an opportunity to be saved. So in a moment when we pray, whatever applies to your life, God's convicting you of some area in your life. Maybe there's a sin that's keeping you from God, kind of like an iron wall between you and him. And you want to just surrender it so that that wall can come tumbling down. God's arm is outstretched towards you. He's calling you and he's reaching to you. Let there not be one sin on our record. Nothing between us and God. Surrender all. If you've been praying and God, nothing has come to mind, no sins come to mind, but there seems to be that God's not answering your prayer, seems to still be a wall there, and you need faith and patient endurance to wait for the Lord's answer, to wait for the Lord's calling, to wait for the Lord's deliverance. In a moment when we pray, ask God to give you that perseverance and that patience and that faith and that courage and that strength that you need. God's impressing someone on your mind, someone on your heart, maybe someone you work with, maybe someone you go to school with, maybe someone in your family, that God's specifically calling you to witness to in some way, shape, or form. Maybe just by an act of love, maybe by just praying for them, or maybe by calling them, talking to them, sharing something with them, a Bible verse or a track or a card, or inviting them to services. Let's ask God to give us his spirit that empowers us to move forward. For God to go before us and to soften their hearts and minds and prepare the, and till the ground for us so that it's ready to receive the seed. And may God give us the boldness to go forth with the right words and tactful, loving, caring hearts. Maybe God's speaking to your heart about something else. Maybe God's calling you in some radical way to live for him. Or maybe just the basics. When we pray, let's ask for God to live in us and through us. To warn this world before the end comes. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, we're thankful for your great love for us. You've been reaching down to this world with your arms outstretched and drawing us with an everlasting love. Thank you for Yeshua for being lifted up on high. Thank you for being lifted back up to your throne. Thank you, Father, for the resurrection. Thank you for the living witness to us. 
Thank you for your spirit that's come upon our hearts and mind and has drawn us here tonight and has drawn us to you with everlasting love that has brought conviction to our hearts and mind and given us the gift of repentance. And now also give us a double portion of your spirit to go forth and to live for you. To all those around us, for your honor and for your glory, in Yeshua's holy name, amen.